late night walk, Edmond, Oklahoma, overpriced campus, soft rain falling, pattering on red cotton, breath visible in the October night, passing couples, footsteps clicking on the concrete, rushing forward to warmth and coziness. Reach out, seek connection, fingertips linger in the dark, lingering like a ghost in the spaces between the streetlights, hiding in the shadows from the great beast depression, whose wicked canines and brutal grinding molars have just been felt for the first time. The sound of passing cars stirring filthy puddles, oil slick and antifreeze sweet. Bad night to be alone and lonesome and hunted. Bad night to be calling out for divine help and hearing only the sound of your voice echoing off the brick facades of Murdaugh Hall. The great beast crouches creeps forward in the ornamental grass, using the empty benches to mask its approach. Weary eyes, tired limbs, a mind clouded as the sky above. Nothing but an ape meant for sheltered canopies, and instead finding itself living in the mud, where the teeth are big, and the claws unforgiving. Close your eyes, little ape. Stop fighting. Let the sleep come. Let the dream come with it. The dream. Passing the library now, rows of Asian students within. Foreign swaps come to the Great Plains for education and cultural exchange. They pour over blue-screen computers as the library threatens to close. Sit on a bench in the rain, and you could watch them belch from the American academia and dissipate into the night. Couples and trios, an odd quartet, speaking the mother tongue and disregarding the little ape as they return to dorm rooms for rest and slumber and dreams. The dream. There it is again. A dream that haunts. One without form or context. One with porcelain harlequin masks and groping furry hands. One that neither wakes nor comforts. Only holds you down in bed and traces warm lines beneath the eyes like a fallen tear or a drop of blood or persisting hope. Get a move on, little ape. Stop wasting the rain. Curving concrete paths trace hourglass shapes in the shadows. Follow them, each step along the arc burying a soul deeper into the dangerous grounds. 
A thick, sturdy blonde sits on a bolted-down tabletop. Her nose ring glistens in the streetlight, and the rain trickles down her face. Two friends pass cigarettes back and forth, the tip flaring lemon and tangerine. The flame illuminates the pursed lips, the blue eyes, the crooked nose. Stop, say hi, ask for a drag, anything, just do anything. Reach for connection. Twenty minutes pass. So do the meaningless words. Did you rush a fraternity? What are you studying? You live in Murdoch, we live in West. Nothing binds, nothing sticks. Midnight fades. So does the conversation. Time to move. Evangelical cadence matches the thump, thump, thump of the heart in your chest. You remember? You remember the broadcast? Played through the busted, buzzing speakers of the Chevy, the sermon delivered to an open mind and a mouthful of Little Caesars. Halloween editions, super spook, warning of astral projection, crass divination, Satan and his glorious jeweled face, his golden perfect wings. Possession. Strength in the Lord. All of it gets little ape thinking about what lives in the inky darkness above, about what dwells in the hot caves below. The path leads to the A-frame chapel in the middle of campus. Of course it does. Where else is there to go that hasn't been explored? Little ape reaches for the handle, pauses, furrows a brow. Concentrate. Focus. Concentrate. A sigh. Astral projection isn't for the weak of heart. Best try the door. The chapel opens itself, left unlocked and unguarded by carefree caretakers. Rows of pews like ribs gird the sanctuary. Breathe in and they expand, flex in the darkness. Exhale, watch them return to place, awaiting the next breath, the next voice. Stained glass catches the lamplights. Kaleidoscope cascades light up darkened eyes. Exploratory fingers find sheet music discarded in the first row. Little Ape takes music theory. Little Ape only knows how to bang and cause a ruckus. Little Ape isn't capable of reading. The rose stained glass window the focal point of the sanctuary, adorned with winged angels, proclaims blessed be the ties that bind our hearts in Christian love. The fellowship of kindred minds is like to that above. Conjunction. But what of the lonesome and lonely? The chapel holds no answers. The air outside is crisp and sharp as a knife. 
the path no longer binds. Through the grassy commons and the spongy soil, through the accommodating ground. Maybe there's a place somewhere tucked away from the lights and foot traffic. A place a little ape could rest. A place to lay in the mud. Let the earth swallow him down, slowly digest him until he becomes one with the worms and toads. He could let a hundred years pass. Maybe a thousand. Let the world reconstitute him, rebirth him into the soul he was meant to be. Salve et coagula. In the meantime, these things betwixt dissolution and conjunction would matter precious little. You sink into the underground, gestate and come sliding out, slick with grimy afterbirth, screaming as loudly as your newly formed lungs can manage, screaming because suddenly it's cold and bright, exposed in the harsh world, newly naked and afraid and pissed. Welcome to the life in the mud in the year of our Lord 2021. Best get used to it. Best to get your hard hat fitted early. You've got profit to earn. The sooner you can stand on those unsteady feet without too much wobble, the better off your boss is gonna be. Most people have been here. <laughs> Most people are still here. Kind of explains the current situation, don't you think? People hustling two or three jobs to get by, to make rent, to pay off those student loans everyone kept saying were so important, to buy the food that doesn't immediately poison you with simple carbs and sodium. Hmm, <laughs> yeah, no wonder everyday magic is dead. No time to look for it when you're watching customers ring themselves out in a Walmart supercenter. Or when you're being talked down to by some fleshy bag of Botox and entitlement during the press of the dinner shift. There's no communing with the spirits when you're making sure no one is stealing from the Walton family. There's no ritual involved with trading pieces of your soul for 15% tips. I don't blame anyone for making the choice. People need food, people need homes. Because money will suffer no magic other than direct deposit and cashback credit card rewards. No gods other than capital. No priests other than the CEOs and hedge fund managers and investment firm bosses. Money is more jealous, more cruel than the Old Testament god that used to destroy whole cities, eradicate whole cultures of people. That god once smote an entire group of people with bleeding piles. That one let his own children wander in the desert for 40 years because they were disobedient. But still, follow that god's rules and you'll be mostly okay. The god of capital, however, now that is one bad hombre. Workers hurling themselves out of sweatshop windows forced child labor, 
those in bondage building the weapons of their own oppression. Offend the god of capital and find yourself with a repoed car, a foreclosed home, and all your family's lingering medical bills being sent to collection. The bulk of your life's work extracted and juiced and subsequently discarded. The god of capital doesn't care about your worship. It only really cares about your value. The only ritual allowed is the accumulation of more of it, more money. The more you get, the more sins you can just absolve away with a blank check. The more you hoard and steal, the more virtuous you suddenly become, the more you deserve everything you have. All of us chained to the great cycle of commerce, all of us bearing the immeasurable weight of capital when it's our turn to meet the pinch of the road in the wheel. It leaves a bad taste in the mouth. Get enough rich apostles of capital in the same room when they think no one's watching, and just wait and see what sorts of things they get up to. Just ask anyone who had their savings cleared out by Enron, or any of the North Carolina residents living near the DuPont chemical factories, swallowing sinister-sounding stuff like Gen X and Nafion when they have a glass of water. Or you could even ask any of the Epstein children. It seems like if you let a murder of billionaires congregate in the same spot for too long, there's no end to the exploitation even if it is a gala to fundraise for a museum. A democratic socialist can show up wearing a white dress with a pithy slogan in crimson and make headlines in political hay. But how many people in the room missed the point? It's not cheeky. It's not daring or cute. It's a threat. Even if it doesn't have teeth. But money blinds as well as binds. Of course they miss the point. The designer of that dress, turns out, owes back taxes in multiple states. People think that undermines the message of the dress. All it really does is underline it. Can't imagine that's the only person in the room that isn't exactly square with Uncle Sam. And the thing that gets buried... The thing that should get everyone's goat is that it's not just taxes owed. That designer's company owes some $60,000 in unpaid workers' insurance claims. It used unpaid interns like full-time employees. You gotta look real far down into the news copy to find that stuff. Everyone wants to talk about the taxes. No one wants to talk about the theft. And you might have missed it, but in September 2021, a U.S. federal judge approved a $4.5 billion settlement and thousands of lawsuits against Purdue Pharma, the company that manufactured and marketed OxyContin, a drug that was THE gateway drug. In 2020, when more than half a million Americans were dying of COVID, Another 70,000 met their ends after overdosing on opioids. The family that owned the company, the Sacklers, 
knew exactly how dangerous Oxycontin was, but they kept peddling it like snake oil salesmen pushing arsenic-laced panaceas, and they got rich doing it. And about the time it became self-evident Oxys were killing a lot of people, the Sacklers began moving money from Purdue into their own complicated offshore accounts. How much absolution does $10 billion buy you from the god of capital? Damn near all of it, as it turns out. The lawsuits killed Purdue, but it didn't touch the Sacklers' worth. Assuming the settlement is upheld, the Sacklers are protected from future litigation and will be able to dole out the $4.5 billion in non-consequential spurts while the rest of their money can continue doing its nefarious work poisoning our world. What would happen if you stole a thousand dollars from these beasts? How much jail time is that? What would happen if you killed one person? In the US, poor people have been executed for doing just that. What should happen if you had the blood of a thousand people on your hands, of tens of thousands of people on your hands for just a single year, for the last 20 years? Doesn't it make you wish you'd known all you had to do to leave the muck was figure out a way to kill tens of thousands of people? That all you had to do was sell them their death 20 milligrams at a time? Of course not. You're not a ghoul. You're no acolyte of capital. But doesn't it make you mad? Doesn't it make you white hot with rage? It's enough to make you practice assembling rifles. It's enough to make you learn the finer points of bullet manufacturing. Behold, the mighty voices of my vengeance smash the stillness of the air and stand as monoliths of wrath upon a plain of writhing serpents. I am become a monstrous machine of annihilation to the festering fragments of the body of he who would detain me. It repenteth me not that the summons doth ride upon the blasting winds which multiply the sting of my bitterness, and great black slimy shapes shall rise from brackish pits, vomit forth their pustulance into his puny brain. I call upon the messengers of doom to slash with grim delight this victim I hath chosen. Silent is the voiceless bird that feeds me. Silent is the voiceless bird that feeds upon the brain pulp of him who hath tormented me, and the agony of thee is to be shall sustain itself in shrieks of pain, only to serve as signals of warning to those who would resent my being. Oh, come forth in the name of Abaddon, and destroy him whose name I have giveth as a sign. O oh, great brothers of the night, thou who makest my place of comfort, who rideth out upon the hot winds of hell, who dwelleth in the devil's fane, move and appear. Present yourselves to him who sustaineth the rottenness of the mind, that moves the gibbering mouth, that mocks the just and strong. Rend that gaggling tongue, and close his throat. 
Oh, Kali, pierce his lungs with the stings of scorpions. Oh, Sekhmet, plunge his substance into the dismal void. Oh, mighty Dagon. I thrust aloft the bifid barb of hell, and on its tines resplendently impaled my sacrifice through vengeance rests. As if fire and lead had ever solved anything in our dim, crooked age of ignorance and greed. So that's the state of it. Predators and exploiters up top, everyone else down below, holding on to what they have for dear life, grinding away one day at a time, held in a type of stasis. But things are changing, not as quickly as they need to, but it's happening. This last great breaking wave of generational imbalance is beginning to crest. The baby boomers are going supernova, clutching on to money and homes and jobs and social security checks, entering those final twilight years on the planet they helped to destroy. Population contractions coming. Generation X and millennials will be up next with Gen Z right behind. Gen X, the strange middle children of America, will finally inherit the reins of power. Greatly delayed, but not ultimately defeated. Millennials and Gen Z though, hmm. What to say? There's been a lot of chatter in the media and culture about the arrested development of our youngest generations. Declining birth rates, declining home ownership, declining engagement with American life and capital. Millennials have suffered two of the worst recessions in American history since entering the workforce. They're saddled with thousands of dollars in student debt and employers that don't want to offer full-time work, much less benefits. Things like pensions are a laughable artifact of the past and so is retirement. Zoomers, well, they don't get off any easier. While the rest of us will be shuffling off this mortal coil, Zoomers will be looking at a planet on life support. Forced to reckon with the collective sins of the father while authoritarianism marches forward and the infrastructure crumbles. They'll be the generation of apocalyptic storms, salinization, Famine and water shortage. It's clear. Radical change needs to come, and soon. You want to change the world? You want to defy the god of capital? Stop buying guns. And start buying seeds. Grow garden. Learn to feed yourself and your neighbors. Invite lots of people to join, preferably people who look and think differently than you do. Have someone teach you how to grow okra and greens while you show them how to prune tomato suckers. Everyone get their hands dirty planting sweet potato vines, pumpkins, corn. At harvest, gather up what you manage to cultivate. Then... 
give it away. In exchange, only ask for a phone number to compile the phone list. Figure out what people need, what they can provide. Build the community up block by block. Forge a chain one link at a time. Usurp the order of capital. None of its acolytes or priests are going to lift you from the mud. You'll have to build scaffolding together to rise. You'll have to lay a new foundation for a society that is splintered. It will be an act of radical hope and community. Your new home will be constructed with reclaimed wood pallets, donated nails, sweat, and labor and calluses. At the end of the day, as the sun sets, gather round a fire and listen. Pass around plates of food you grew together, that you prepared together. Sing if you want. Pray to Abilio or Oko or Persephone or Dan Petro for the strength against the god of money if you choose. Consecrate your new community to an old god of something green and verdant and generous. See if you can't feel the old everyday magic in the air. It's hard work. And it takes a long time for you to invite the magic back home. But here's a little consolation prize in case you'd like something a little more tangible until then. A little of the old world magic to tide you over until you can conjure something new of your own. Write a desire in your own words. Something you will set your will towards. Make it simple. Make it strong. Make it declarative. Write the desire on a piece of paper. Cross out vowels and duplicate letters. Take those remaining letters and arrange them into a sigil. A symbol that is strong and speaks to your heart. Simplify it, embellish it, and then enclose it within a circle. Picture it as you tend the new life growing at your feet. As you weed and water your new garden and laugh with its other caretakers. Imagine you're burying it within the soil to help nurture the new roots. That's your mark. That's your desire. Then transcribe it onto a plain sheet of paper and nail it to your leasing office's front door or write it in chalk on the side of a senator's house. Let them look upon it and wonder what it could mean and then let them know the worms and toads are rising from the muck with their eyes on the kingdom. Thank you for joining us on this episode of These Things Betwixt. I hope you enjoyed the little walk down these labored paths of our world. It would mean the world to us if you rated and reviewed the show on your podcatcher of choice. If you don't feel like rating and reviewing, that's okay. You can send a toad to deliver your message. I'll know exactly what you mean. If you have ever laid waste to a temple of coin or want to pitch us your mid-level marketing plan, write into the show at thesethingsbetwixt at gmail.com. I'd love to hear your thoughts and your spookiest stories. 
These Things Betwixt is a Random Draw production and was written and hosted by Mark Belial, that's me, and produced and edited by super skeptic Dave Hubbard. Dave can be part of my community garden anytime. The music in tonight's episode is Metal Drone by Daniel Birch. For more information and music to purchase, visit danielbirchmusic.com. The described invocation was read from the Book of Leviathan as transcribed in the Satanic Bible by Anton LaVey. My advice? Best to not play with fire, kids. As a final note, I usually beg here for tips for Dave and I, but today we aren't worshipping money. Instead, take some time for yourself and your neighbors to read about mutual aid. Sticking together is the only way we're making it out. Check out BigDoorBrigade.com for videos, documents, and checklists to start a local mutual aid group. Check out the show notes and link for more information. And until we meet again, stay safe, open your mind, and keep watching the shadows.